Hello! 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 Hello, we're back. We're back. You thought we were gone away, but we're back. We're still here. We're still selling fake doors. We're answering. It's true, we are. Yep. Still, oh, we've got to sell those fake doors. Oh, man. Always got to sell them fake doors. So things. many. Well, welcome to the fake door cast. <laughs> the internet's finest podcast about fake doors and selling fake doors. It's true. It's true. I mean, we analyze all the doors from your favorite TV shows, like Game of Thrones, and we're like, man, that's a pretty great fake door. Yep. And then we get into really in-depth conversations about whether if a door on set or not is actually fake. Yeah, you should uh, check out the latest PDF that I have published myself, mm-hmm. uh, Hubert Scrange. Uh, you should check out my latest work, the outlook for uh, f- prospective fake door investments in the greater China area 2016 yeah. through 2074. It's incredibly yeah, comprehensive. And, we, and, and this infomercial really has like a great deal on this PDF. So, I mean, just keep listening and we will tell you all about yeah, it. Yeah, that it, that, that it does, Margaret. Thank you very much for of course, uh, backing of course. up what I'm saying. Uh, I can't really keep this going much longer because... <laughs> We may have already lost what few listeners we actually have. <laughs> welcome, welcome back to Historically Speaking, the, the podcast that is not about fake doors, but is in fact about true. really true history. Like, yes, uh, weird history weird, that sounds like it might be fake. That sounds like it might be fake, but very crucially isn't, because the world is a very, very weird place. And very weird yes. stuff has happened in the world. Also cool yes, stuff. Yes, and most, and most real world doors are real. Yes. Yeah, most real yeah. real world doors are like uh, demonstrably real. Yeah. Like you can go up and touch them and open them and be like, "Fuck, that's a." You, you really can. It's a real fucking door. Uh, I I do that every single goddamn day. <laughs> <laughs> most of the doors at my workplace are automatic, so I don't have to. So oh my I sometimes God. question. I, I sometimes question doors? the nature of my door-based reality. Oh uh, well, sometimes. When I'm trying to get the door open at work and I can't do it, I question my own existence. So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Kinda. Kinda. Existential crises. <laughs> Door-driven edition. We're not actually here to talk about doors, though. And I am not, Hu- no, I, not. I am not Hubert Scrange. <laughs> I, uh, I am, in fact, Jack Whelan, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, the queen of white people, Kelsey Lang. What, what? Also, my name's not Margaret, even though I could make my name Margaret if I wanted to, because I am the reigning monarch over all white people, and Margaret is a pretty white name, so, I mean, I could adopt it. Is Margaret's a pretty fucking white name. Pretty fucking white name. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I'm just glad we reached that accord. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we have been off for a little bit. Uh, Is is having trouble setting up a computer. Uh, it's the world's longest computer setup that I've ever experienced but there it is um we're gonna try and keep to our release schedule in future we're gonna get better at this we're probably gonna have some guest hosts as well so uh keep an eye out for that because guest hosts are cool because i get to bombard a whole new bunch of people with my weird brand of i read about this on wikipedia five minutes before i actually started the podcast type of shit yeah, and you can watch as you like one host more than you like the both of us, and then we slowly just descended to nothing because you wanted that one guest instead of us. Yeah, yeah. 
and and then we set up our own spin-off podcast that actually does talk about uh, fake doors. It's true. Because we're still here and we're still selling them. Except we're not. We are. We are actually, in fact, here to talk about history. Uh, so. Yes. Let's just, just talk about some fucking history, shall we? It's been a while. Well, I want to. What are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? We're talking about, well, I'll give the time frame first. The year. Oh, man. The year is 1915. Oh, man, I wanted to be later than that, but oh well. Well, fine, I'll have, to find a t- I'll have to find a later topic to discuss next week, because apparently 1915 is too early for you. I meant that I wanted something earlier, but I'm going to stick with wanting something later, so yes, I want something later now. Well, you got to stick to your guns, that's really the only way you can win I know, this I thing. do, yeah. Uh, the year is 1915. World War One is less than a year old at this stage. Uh, but already shit's kind of gotten a lot more real than anyone was expecting. This was the war, yeah. after all, that exists in popular imagination as the one that was sh- that should have been over by Christmas uh, and has um, instead descended I... into an absolute stalemate between pretty much everyone. I, um, you know, people should have known that was going to get worse a year in because I think pretty much babies' poops do get worse a year in. So start eating more stuff. In in your analogy, World War One yeah. is literally born in late nineteen fourteen. And by nineteen fifteen has reached a sort of a toddler phase. I don't uh, no no no, they're still they're still a baby. They're still a baby? It's just they're a year old baby instead of like a day old baby. Okay. Because I mean look, okay? There was a lot of stuff that led up to World War One. We both know that. There's a whole, a whole, a whole lot of saber like, rattling, that was and like all the countries kind of having sex with one another, and then it started like we could see, and that took a while, and then there was like the straw that broke the baby's back, and isn't there always a straw that ends up breaking the 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 water, and then the baby came out, and now we have a war, and we're feeding the baby more and more things that the baby can eat, and that's just shit, and it comes out as shit. I think this is a really good analogy, actually, honestly, and I'm sticking okay, by it. Honestly, it's, it is d- disturbingly apt. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, no, I, honestly, I'm thinking about the lead-up to the First World War in a, in, with, framed as... A very awkward date between teenagers who aren't really sure what the fuck they're doing because they know they're supposed to act. So let's 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 just let's just unpack this for a moment. Um, sure. So the latter half of the 19th century is all of the great powers in Europe: your Britons, your Frances, your Germanys, your Austria-Hungarys, your Ottoman empires, your Russias. All kind of competing for each other's attention and snapping up cool little bits of land all across the planet. Like, right, right. Basically Trump. going around tagging shit because I think that's what teens do. They they tag yes, stuff. Yes, yes. They're at prom. Yeah. They're all trying to be prom queen. Oh, okay. So they're all trying to be pr- the queen. Who's the queen in this analogy? Like, okay. it's, it's world domination? No, no, they're all trying to be queen. Oh, they're all trying to be, oh, yes, yes, bish work. Yeah, yeah, it's a voting contest, but there's no one there to vote. Ah, I see. So instead, they're all just posturing constantly. So yes. like Germany, Germany, Britain already controls much of the brun- much of the uh, the buffet table, because it it, it's dad made some very good investments 
earlier on. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. Germany and France try and take little bits of the table, and Britain's okay with that because the bits that Germany and France take are like kind of shitty. Yeah. Meanwhile, Russia's over in the corner complaining that it doesn't have access to water. Yeah. That is a that is a yes. that is a Russian Navy joke for all you Russian it, exactly, Navy fans. Exactly what I'm saying right now is that World War One is a prom night dumpster baby. Prom night dumpster baby. No, don't sing that. We can't we cannot <laughs> no, afford no, the world. Oh no, Seth MacFarlane is probably very litigious. Um yeah, so at some point they all just descend into this absolute fuck-tastrophe. And uh, then the First World War was born. And millions yeah. of people died. Yep. We sh- kind of what happens when you have a baby. We need to write that, that viral video. We do. Because at some point I kind of just picture, like, Serbia going up and punching Austria-Hungary and then Russia punching Austria-Hungary and then Austria-Hungary punching Russia and Germany punching Russia and then Russia saying help and France coming and punching Germany and then somewhere in the middle they all fuck. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that sounds about right. I mean, that's usually how prom night slash bar fights usually end up happening. And really, what's the difference these days? Yeah, I know, right? It's teens these days. What are you going to do? I know. So, okay. We're in 1915. <laughs> World War I sucks. World War I, World War I sucks the big one because it is not over by Christmas. In fact, it's almost – it's going on a year later and nothing has happened beyond most of uh, eastern France turning into a literal, literal and figurative quagmire. Uh, with millions of men staring at each other across a very narrow strip and occasionally taking bits of that strip back. Um Elsewhere in the world, notably the Atlantic Ocean, the war was a bit more fluid, unfortunately for some parties. Because, you see, since the land war was so absolutely locked in place, basically the best the Allies and the Central Powers had to hope for was a war of attrition where one of them, one or other of them, would capitulate based on the sheer amount of losses they entailed, both in terms of manpower, materials, and economic wealth. So Germany's idea with this was to attempt to starve Britain as an island nation out of it by fucking up as much of Britain's merchant shipping as it possibly could. How much food was Britain actually importing at this point, though? It was importing quite a lot because you remember that um, Britain had spent most of the latter half, uh, most of the last 200 years or so setting up an empire uh it imported a fuck ton of stuff like all of its tea came from india right with you know some exceptions but the vast majority of its tea came from india and you know how the british are about tea but that's just one example like they imported a lot of stuff not only not only um Mm -hmm. food but also materials Britain had a lot of industrial right. power of itself, but it did need raw materials from elsewhere, notably the United States of America, in order to actually manufacture all the shells that it was throwing at the Germans and the Austrians on a very regular basis. Daily, right. in fact, or hourly. So Germany's idea with this was, okay, we'll fuck up as much of the merchant shipping as we possibly can, and then Britain is going to capitulate because it's not going to have enough food, it's not going to have enough materials to continue fighting the war uh, in the way we want, and then we'll just steamroll all over them. So, and th- this this had gotten to 
such a high, such a level that in one month in 1915, uh, almost a million tons of merchant shipping—that is, both including the ships and their cargo—had been sank over the course of 30 days. There was no. Eff- that that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and what's more impressive about it as well is that this wasn't even conducted by uh, German ships. The German navy was basically penned in around. Uh, by this massive blockade that the British had set up along the North Sea. The German Navy itself mm-hmm. couldn't actually focus on merchant shipping. The vast majority of these raids were undertaken by U-boats. So German okay. yeah, German submarines were responsible for this like, in vast increase in the amount that Britain was losing almost every single day. I always forget I always forget that submarines were already a thing by 1915. Yep. Yep, and the German U-boats were basically the pioneers of this. Like they were right, they right. um they had been developed pre uh pre-World War 1, but Germany had by far the most out of any of the uh belligerent nations during the First World War. Um, gotcha. And were absolutely vital to their strategy in this case. Um, mm-hmm. The first loss was uh, under, undertaken by uh, any ship in um, wartime was the, HMS, the HMS Pathfinder, who was the uh, first ship to have ever been sunk um, by a torpedo. And she was sunk in September 1914, in the very first, very first month of the war. Uh, that said, everything just escalated from there. It originally began with the German U-boats simply ambushing merchant, uh, merchant and civilian ships and observing the old naval tradition of what have been known as prize rules, which basically states that uh, we have taken you, you have no chance of fighting back, surrender now, you'll all be like humanely, quote-unquote, transported to, excuse me, to a, uh, a POW camp, we'll take your ship as a prize, and you forfeit all of your uh, materials that you have on board. Mm. That... What? Hmm? Can, imagine being that first ship, though, that gets hit by a torpedo. Yep. It, okay. it kind of sucks. So the ship is sinking. Yeah, your ship's hella Captain, sinking. The ship is sinking. And then the captain has to be like, I do not know why the ship is sinking, but this is terrifying. Because, you know, they would just be sitting in the bridge, of course, you know, just shipping onto brandy while the ship was sinking. Yep. Yeah, and um, it would just be really rough. I, I don't think any of them knew what happened. No, it was made even, it was made even worse uh, uh, only uh, three weeks later uh, when a German U- U-9 uh, sank... Three British ships, the, H- the HMS uh, Abokir, the HMS Cressy, and the HMS Haug, uh, in the space of a single hour. That, that That's pretty coordinated. Yep. The British were, like, okay with it, because it had been known as the Live Bait Squadron, uh, and was played up by the Ad- Admiralty as an attempt to gauge um, U-boat capabilities, uh, which could... It, even though the ships were obsolete, losing uh, losing all of them is probably not a good thing. Um, hey, hey, Private Jack. Yes. Hey, Private. Yes. I'm going to reassign you to the new brigade that we're making. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh, okay, great. Well, what's the name of that brigade, if you don't mind me asking, oh, sir? Oh, well, well, you know, we, we, it took a long time to figure it out, but, uh, uh, you know, Live Prime Brigade, brigade we're thinking. That's, I think that's what we're going to call it. Um, I'm somewhat worried by that designation. Uh, what, why? Uh, well, I mean, I'm already taking part in Operation Hook, Line, and Sinker. And yeah, yeah, you've been doing very good at that so far. I mean, we hooked you, and and now you're sinking. The name of this particular squadron doesn't exactly inspire me with confidence. Yeah, I, but what did you think you were gonna be? I mean, this is hook, line, and sinker. You, you, somebody's gotta be live bait on the line. Why does it have to be me? Well, private, you know. If you were just better at bingo. <laughs> Basically how the conversation right. went. Anyway, <laughs> prize rules were observed in the first few months. However, it became way more expedient for the German Navy to simply fuck shit up. Um, hmm. The Kaiser himself uh, cited unfair British minefields and shipping blockades and... The German High Command instructed every U-boat captain to sink any ship they could get their hands on. That included neutral shipping and civilian shipping. I I love the idea that somebody would say that something was unfair in war. It's it's one of those things that, like, especially since since the First World War, has rapidly become essentially entirely obsolete. Like... Of course, right. war crimes have been committed throughout the entire scope of human history, but there is at least a perception mm-hmm. that at some t- at certain part at certain parts you had this very weird thing where soldiers could be committing absolute atrocities to each other on a battlefield, and then at some point their gentleman fucking commanders would just go, uh, "No, I, I surrender," and then he presents his sword to the French officer or whatever, and the French officer accepts the surrender, and the man spends a rather comfortable life at some chateau as a prisoner of war until both these countries agree to an exchange back. Meanwhile, thousands of men, thousands of men on the other side of the hill, have died because they couldn't figure out that they should have just fucking surrendered in the first place. Right. But you are you are absolutely right. It is weird that this was even considered and seems almost quaint by our standards, which is kind of sad in yeah. its own way, uh, especially yeah. since the First World War was one of the first instances where uh, civilians were very much in. Very, one of the first instances in very modern times where civilians were very much in the line of fire just simply by doing their jobs of working on a fucking ship. Right. So Britain was getting a little bit desperate because it was losing a rather large amount of its merchant shipping to these uh, U-boat raids. Uh, the Admiralty did not have a lot of money and had basically all of its ships stretched incredibly thin blockading German shipping. And... Also, at the time, U-boat countermeasure technology wasn't really a thing. Sonar hadn't been invented yet. Depth charges were incredibly inaccurate. So the only real way for a surface ship to have any real hope of defeating a U-boat is with its main guns or actually fucking ramming the thing. Smart. Yeah, pretty smart. But difficult. Because you can't really ram a U-boat with any degree of accuracy. Mostly because the thing's generally underwater and torpedoing the fuck out of you. Yeah, and, um... 
It also just looks like a giant torpedo. It do. It absolutely yeah. do. Torpedoes, in this case, were rudimentary. Obviously, they didn't actually home in on anything. But if a U-boat managed to stalk pretty close to a ship and launch a torpedo, there was basically fuck all the ship could actually do about it. Um, right. And then, boom, torpedo in the flank. You're taking on water. You're sinking. So Okay, Jack, yes, Jack, yes. this has all been really sad so far and just kind of like grim and dark, yep. and I want to laugh. Uh, I mean, you ca- you want to laugh, so I should provide you with something to laugh at? Yeah. Okay, well, here's the hook. Britain's solution to this was to create what was known as the Q-ship, uh, which was shortening for both Queen's ship and also uh, got its codename from their home port, which was Queenstown in the south of Ireland, which is now known as Cove. Uh, lovely little town. Lovely little town. Um they were kind of ingenious. Basically what it was, was the British Admiralty appropriated, bought, impressed, whatever you want to, whatever verb was applicable for how they got a hold of it, a ship, made it look as plain as possible, and stuffed it full of as much armaments as they could, and hid those armaments behind this lovely plain exterior. Okay, so it just looked like a simple civilian ship. Exactly. Most Q-ships would look like very typical, what were known as tramp steamers. Tramp steamers were passenger liners that brought people for cheap across the Atlantic. Uh, This obviously baying back when uh, sea travel was the only way to get across the Atlantic in any way, really, at all. So tramp steamers were a very common sight in European waters and would not have been regarded with any degree of suspicion. And at wartime, they were, as the Kaiser says, basically fair game. So the British simply stuffed them full of guns and hid those guns. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the idea was that a U-boat captain would see this as as an easy target and surface. Because... To a certain extent, torpedoes were not the best way of destroying ships at this era. They were somewhat unwieldy. You had to make sure you were very well lined up and uh, before you actually fired. So instead, what U-boats tended to do during the First World War was surface and use their big gun that was mounted on the, on the foredeck uh, to just shell the ship until it sank. Because it was much more accurate, it would take less time, it would cost less ammunition, and it would use mm. use no torpedoes, which could be much more helpful in other circumstances. Right. And a ship that had no military crew aboard it, looked like a perfectly innocent merchant liner or tramp steamer, was an absolutely easy target. So there was no need for the U-boat captain to have to worry about it. Uh, and he would come to the surface, run out his gun, and start shooting at it. Okay. So the Q-ships, instead of having anything in their cargo, in anything in their cargo holds that wasn't, you know, spare ammunition for the guns, would actually be filled with, like, cork, balsa wood, or, like, wooden caskets, so that even if they did take a torpedo hit, chances are they would still stay afloat because they're carrying this incredibly buoyant cargo. Okay. So the U-boat would surface, the captain would run out his gun, take aim, and suddenly notice that the tramp steamer that he was about to open fire on is instead pointing eight to ten very, very large bore guns at him. Boom. Kapow. 
that U-boat would sink. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I got this now. You got so, it? So, like, yeah, yeah. They they were pretending to be a civilian ship when really they were, like, the first battleships ever in a way. Well, no, they were, like, they weren't even the first battleships. They were, like, often some sometimes more heavily armed than... Uh, more heavily armed than some corvettes and frigates, like the light runners of the um, the British fleets. Like, these were pretty fucking cool creations. Like, you just slap a bunch of guns on a ship that's not really supposed to have guns, and then hide in plain sight until some U-boat pops up off your port bow, and then shell the fuck out of it. Right. I mean, but imagine being, like, a U-boat captain who, for some reason, does decide to shoot the, the ship with a torpedo... Ship's still standing, but you start seeing, you know, caskets come out, and you're just like, man, that's awfully nice of their crew to just already be dead. <laughs> and, uh, and then you're like, oh, no, those caskets are for us, because now they're pointing guns at us, and now we're dead. Pretty much. And some of these victories, some of these victories were, like, great. The first one, the first victory, the first Q-ship victory ever was on Ju- the 23rd of June, 1915, uh, when the, the HMS C-24 which was operating under the decoy name and flag of the uh, the vessel Taranaki, uh, sank uh, U-40 off the coast of uh, off Eyemouth, um, which is the first ever unassisted victory by it. Um, yeah. It question. Yeah. Um, would this be the actual definition of ironic, or would this be the Alanis Morissette definition of ironic? I think it's closer to the Alanis Morissette definition of ironic. This is just a really Probably. this is just a really good trick. Yeah. Um, even better, like probably the most probably the most stunning victory that actually happened was um, the a tiny fishing trawler, which was only mounting a three pounder gun, uh, fired nine shots into uh, UB four at incredibly close range and managed to sink a U boat at with the loss of all hands. She just this tiny little fishing trawler fucked up a German submarine. How do you even explain that to people? Not that you could explain it. I mean, how long did it take the Germans to actually realize this was happening? Because, I mean, if you're fucking up a submarine, you're fucking up everything inside that thing. Like, I don't think anybody's surviving, right? Uh, no. No. I mean, these are also, like, U-boats are not pleasant environments to exist. They are incredibly cramped. They're incredibly hot. They're fucking awful. Uh, And, yes, they're not really designed to take return fire. They're designed to sail in undetected and fuck anyone up before anyone has a chance to fuck them up, which is actually exactly what these Q-ships are all about. Just the element of surprise, which is why a right. a fucking sailing ship managed with a single three-pounder gun to sink a whole German U-boat. Right. But, I mean, again, how long did it take Germany to realize this was happening? Because, I mean, yeah, they were suddenly having U-boats disappear, but I... How did they figure out there was these Q-boats that were doing it? Um, it became uh, common knowledge after a couple of U-boats managed to sneak away from entanglements with uh, Q-ships. Oh, okay. The Q-ships had to be absolutely had to be absolutely assured that they were going to be able to sink the U-boat before opening fire. Excuse me, opening fire on them, because otherwise the element right. of surprise will be lost. The U-boat sneaks away. Either it torpedoes them from under the water, and they don't—they're not able to do anything about it, or it just fucks off, and right. they're not able to track it because, once again, sonar is not a thing. Right. 
eventually word did get back to German high command and U-boat crews started to take a started to be a a whole lot um, more careful around what they chose to ambush uh, because bear in mind like as I said the entire modus operandi of a Q-boat of a Q-ship sorry involves getting the U-boat to surface and the U-boat only surfaces because it thinks it's not under a th- under any threat so if a right. U-boat decides that everything is a threat and just decides to torpedo them the tactic doesn't necessarily work Right. That said, the like the Q ship, um, the Q ship ploy uh, managed to sink in to- a total of eleven U boats over the course of the war. Which is that's either a lot of U boats or no U boats at all. I don't know which. Is that a lot or is that none? Uh, that's that's a fair amount considering the amount of damage that the U boats themselves were doing and also the cost of their maintenance. It was uh, it was a pretty pretty good ratio mm, okay. i'm not sure well hey hmm? private chat yes. how does it feel to be on uh live prey brigade part two um not good i uh, i barely made it out of the first one with my lungs not full of water um not 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 too great not too uh super happy about doing this um oh well this time you're disguised as something they want to hit and then you get to hit them back What's the problem? Uh, the problem is that they've just started shooting us from longer range. Um, this tactic's been arguably a bit too successful. Remember when that... Uh, oh, nonsense! Remember when that wooden sailing trawler managed to uh, sink a U-boat? They didn't take too kindly to that. No, of course they didn't! That's the whole point! Yeah, but not necessarily so sure it's the whole point for me. I kind of want to get back with my... Uh, Life intact, and my lungs not full of water. Oh, well, son, your ones are going to be full of a lot of water. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, 400 Q-ships were actually manufactured uh, over the course of the First World War, um, 61 of them being lost, uh, which, to be honest, 61 to 11, not a terrible ratio, but pretty solid considering the amount of damage that the U-boats were doing. Like the right. the effectiveness of Q ships has been debated uh, throughout the course of history by historians and military historians, as no one's really quite sure whether or not it made for a good tactic. But it is kind of fucking cool. The idea that like all these all these Royal Navy types wearing civilian clothes, just waiting for the chance for a U boat to surface, and then they can just fuck the shit out of them with their long range with whatever guns that they have on board. I mean, that must have been fun when it happened, but it was only fun for 11 crews. (laughs) The rest of the crews got fucked. Uh, yes. That said, though, they did also succeed in damaging 60 U-boats. Oh, okay. Damaging's damaging's pretty good. That's that's better than not damaging. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which actually accounts for uh, overall percentage. 10% of U-boats sunk during the First World War were actually sank by these Q-ships. Uh... Unfortunately, the remaining almost 90% was by minefields. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a small percentage in there as well for uh, actual naval vessels themselves being able to target the target U-boats with uh, their own batteries. But the vast majority of U-boats were actually just sunk by minefields, since U-boats did not actually have any means of detecting mines, as, once again, sonar did not exist. Hey, Jack. Yeah. 
Do you know what the difference is between destroying a U-boat and damaging a U-boat is? I'm not quite sure. Do tell. It's the difference between a fake door and a real door. That's uh, it's, it's very astute observation there, Margaret. I mean... I know. Just, I know. And I mean, this infomercial is going very well so uh, far, is it Very, not? very well. The outlook for fake doors this year is pretty phenomenal, if I do say so myself. I know. And I know. And I mean, you told me that we never get to have people sit through more than a 30-minute infomercial about fake doors. And we did yeah, it. Yeah, we did it. I mean, we diverted a little bit there. Uh, but all, oh, all, all in the name of making sure these fake doors go to their rightful homes and investors. Because I don't want, I mean, I don't, I don't want to jump the gun here, Margaret, but my God, you should put all of your money into fake doors. You really should. And I mean, fake doors are very much like Q-boats. How, how, do, how, do you, how do you figure that there, Margaret? How do you figure that? Well, I mean, with a fake door, you go up to it, you think you can open it, you can't open it. U-boat goes up to a Q-boat, thinks it can shoot it, can't shoot yeah, it. Yeah, and, uh, and fake doors will also sink you. Oh, of course. Definitely if you put one in front of your be- store, nobody would be able to get inside. Yeah, but I mean also in the literal sense, like fake doors are incredibly heavy. Yeah, they really yeah. are. Like, I don't know why they're so heavy. You'd think if they were fake, they'd be like, you know, as light as air. But no, 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 they're, no they, they are heavy. not. Very they're heavy. Very, very heavy. Like, if, if What we're saying is protect your home with fake protect, doors. Yes. So, so impenetrable, those fake doors. It's true. Yeah. I'm glad we're able to tell people about all sorts of life advice on this show. I am glad as well, Kelsey. Uh, especially, yeah. like, so... I mean, the the big takeaway from from this week is, um, watch if if you are approaching a merchant vessel at sea, um, be careful about how. Which I do all yeah, the time. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, at least twice. Yeah, a week. I mean, you, you you're you're mad for the old approaching merchant vessels, but. Uh, yeah, I mean that that pirate blood man. Be be me. careful because they might actually be swarming with armaments and very well trained British Navy uh, seamen. Yeah. And also fake doors. Uh, invest in them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they probably did have fake doors on the outside. They, uh, they, they, uh, the, the funny thing is they, uh, they actually did have fake doors on the outside. <laughs> and hey, we brought we it brought all around. You know why they have those fake doors? Because behind those fake doors were guns. Yes, lots of guns. <laughs> guns that would be used to shoot If you shoot buy submarines. fake doors today, you will also get guns. Mm-hmm. That, that's the deal of this infomercial. Yep. That's, that's yeah. a deal. So, this has been another episode of Historically Speaking. Uh, this is also yes, what happens... infomercial Yeah, edition. this is also what happens when you leave Kelsey and I to our own devices without Manny or Iza to make us not talk about fake doors for a third of the fucking podcast. <laughs> um, but you can find more of our definitely not fake door-related stuff on soundcloud.com forward slash historically speaking podcast all of our episodes are there you can also plug our name into literally any podcast service you use and boom our rss feed will be there and you shall receive us into your ears every week yes or two weeks or three weeks we're really we're really bad at scheduling um yes we are but you can buy us wherever podcasts are sold. yes and the best thing about podcasts being sold is that they're generally sold for nothing so it's this true. is really yes. a win-win they, they for you guys. Yeah. You're getting shit for free. I mean, I mean, if your existence is free, then 
We're awesome. What we would actually like you to do, since you are getting this for free, not to guilt trip you guys into doing anything, but throw us some reviews somewhere, like on SoundCloud, give us some likes, give us some reblogs. Tell your friends, give us, put us in your status updates and your tweets, because that helps us yeah. out. And uh, the only reason we want that is because if more people listen to the show, we got more reason to do it. So people who actually like this show, you should tell other people about this show, because if these other people like this show, we get more listeners, and I feel better about looking at our listenership figures, and I'll want to do the show more. So guilt tripping. Yeah. Guilt tripping is a thing. Guilt tripping! Yeah, so um, next time we'll be back with... Uh, more fake doors. No, we're no, we're yes. not going to be back. We're probably not going to do the fake door thing again. Well, we might. In fact, we probably will because I. I we probably will I just, someday. I, I'm only two really confused individuals in our lives. I I I go through jokes like Joseph Stalin through a poetry club. Like, I will murder those things until there are none left. Was that Tasteless. was that dark? It's pretty dark. Tasteless. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're going to be back soon. Two weeks, hopefully. Yep. Uh, hey, yep. Jack, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Tenacity. Kelsey, where can I find you? Uh, I am on, also on Twitter. I am Tokes the Dokes. That's T-O-K-E-S the D-O-K-E-S. Boom. So yeah, you can find us there. You can find us on SoundCloud. You know where to find us. We're also on Facebook. You'll find our shit places. Yep. So yeah, until then, um, stay weird. I don't have a sign off. Stay weird. Yeah, I don't have a sign-off either. Um, Doors. Doors. Bye. Bye.